Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. Thank you for worshiping with us here at All Saints this morning. In particular, welcome to all those who came out of town for the baptisms. We're glad you're here as well. I'm sure all your family is as well. Will you please pray with me? Father, this morning we do ask as we come to your word that you would send your Holy Spirit to us. You might illuminate our hearts and our minds. We might understand your word. That we might be set on fire by your spirit and love to you. So, Father, please be with my words this morning and all of our minds. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we are in our summer series on the parables. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Matthew 13 and the parable there between the wheat and the weeds. And we talked about why, answering the question, why God is slow and delaying in bringing his justice and his judgment. There we talked about that his delay is patience and kindness to bring all his people in. And all the fruit that they are bearing in their lives. Our parable this morning that David just read from us from Matthew 25 also has a delay in it. I hope you saw that there. That the groom in verse 4 is delayed from returning and starting the wedding feast. But the focus on this parable in Matthew 25 is not about the delay of the bridegroom. But rather on the preparation of those who are waiting. On the virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to return. So our question for us this morning is how do we wait during that delay? How do we prepare for the end and for midnight? That's our question this morning. So quickly, just two things. Midnight in the meal and oil to burn. Midnight in the meal and oil to burn. Jesus' parable here depicts what a normal wedding looked like in his time. Uh, The bridal party would typically do exactly what Jesus talks about in this parable. They would wait at the bride's house until the groom would arrive. And when the groom would arrive, then all of the bridal party would go to the groom's house and the feast and the celebration and the ceremony would begin there. And usually this happened at night where the bride would be waiting and the groom would come in the middle of the night. So they'd be having torches like this and process through the town to get to the groom's house with torches just like this. It's kind of equivalent, I think, to our picture Weddings that we do in our day and age where the bridal party, the bridesmaids and the bride wait off over here and they process down the aisle to come and meet the groom. So let's use that practice and kind of say this same parable again through the lens of our wedding ceremonies. Ten bridesmaids are waiting for the groom to get to the church. 
but he gets delayed. I don't know. He's flying in from Chicago. He's flying on Southwest. So what do you think is going to happen? He gets delayed. He doesn't show up on time. So everybody's waiting. And of course, it's late into the night before this wedding starts, before the groom gets here. Everyone sort of falls asleep naturally. That's what happens. But then they are alerted. The groom finally made it. His plane came in. He's on his way to get to the church. When they all wake up, five of them go, oh no, we forgot to get dresses. We forgot to do our hair. So they go to the other five and they say, can we borrow your dresses? Can you do our hair? And of course, what do these other five wise bridesmaids say? No, of course not. There's not enough dresses to go around. If we give you our dresses, we are not going to have any dresses. We don't have time to do your hair. So what do they say? Well, fine. I will run out quickly, go down to the mall, and I'll buy a dress for the wedding. Of course, it's midnight. No dresses are available. No stores are open. No hairstylists are available. It's too late. They were not prepared for the wedding. They were not ready for midnight. In some sense, they were apathetic about whether or not the groom was going to arrive. A couple of days ago, I went on a walk with our dog and our green, we have a green belt behind our house and we went out on a walk. About halfway on the walk, usually he goes around with us, kind of off leash and following us around. Halfway in the walk, I turned around. I couldn't find him anywhere. I thought, what happened to my dog? Did he see a, you know, some coyotes in the green belt or another dog and he bolted off and ran off to play? I couldn't find him. I called his name. I looked everywhere. Turns out he had just turned around and went back home. <laughs> it was too hot. <laughs> it gave me a very clear illustration of what the dog days of summer actually mean. I mean, even my dog was like, bro, it is too hot to walk right now. Can we just go home and lay in the air conditioning? That's what he did. I went back and I found him at the house. I said, come on, let's finish our walk. And he just looked at me and just turned back to the door. Just was like, whatever, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But the image that it made me think of when I was thinking about this passage is there was sort of a resigned apathy that my dog had. It's not worth the effort. I can't, it's too hot. It's too hard. I'm not going to try. Can I just go back inside? And in many, in a real respect, this is what these five virgins do in our parable. They are apathetic. Apathetic to prepare for the groom's arrival. Apathetic about the arrival of midnight. They just go, I don't really feel like it. Obviously, the groom in this parable is Jesus. And the bridesmaids, of course, know Jesus. They know the groom. They're part of the wedding party. They have torches, and their torches are lit, and they are waiting. But for some reason, they stopped getting oil. They stopped getting more fuel to burn. We don't know why they did that. It doesn't explain it in this parable, perhaps they wondered if the groom was ever going to come. Perhaps they wondered and began to doubt if the groom even existed at all. Perhaps they thought there would always be time to get more oil. Perhaps they thought their flame would never go out. Or perhaps they just presumed that the groom liked them and wouldn't really care no matter what they did. We are not told. Regardless of what the virgins felt, Midnight does and always arrives. So the question for you is, are you ready for midnight? Or have you resigned yourself in some sense to a spiritual apathy? Let me ask you this way. Are you living on old fumes in your Christian life? Living off experiences that you had in a college ministry, perhaps? or a dramatic conversion that you had earlier in your life? 
Or have you been presuming that because you belong to Christ, you no longer need to pursue Christ? Like a spouse who says, well, you know, I know he loves me and he's never going to leave me. So there's no real reason to spend time with him, to love him or try and get to know him better. Or does it just feel difficult? You look at your life and the spiritual progress that you've made and it seems small or insignificant. So you feel like my dog, the heat's just oppressive. Can I just give up? Can I just walk her back inside and lay down? Perhaps that is you this morning. Certainly it's been all of us, myself included, certain points in my own life and our lives. And I could warn you, like this parable does, like I already have, even in this sermon, that midnight is unavoidable. That there comes a point in which there is no going back. That the day turns and is now a new day. You can't go back to the old day. Certainly that's something the parable suggests, but let me point something else out. In this parable, the foolish virgins, the foolish virgins, rather, they do experience a loss. But what is the loss that they have? They miss out on the party. The feast begins, and they are too late. It isn't that they lose out on self-sufficiency or the feeling of satisfaction of doing the right thing and the pride of being prepared. That's not what they lose. No, it's the joy and the delight and the laughter and the excitement and meaning of the feast. That is what they lose out on. And if you are feeling that sense of spiritual apathy, that is my encouragement to you, that that is not what you must miss out on. Let that rouse you. The expectation of the delight of the feast rouse you and encourage you to move forward and produce spiritual oil in your life. I wonder if you picked up the overlapping imagery from the Old Testament passage in our New Testament pas- or in our gospel passage this morning. Perhaps not. But in our Old Testament passage here from Zechariah chapter 4, in Zechariah chapter 4, there's a vision that the high priest Zechariah has of the temple. That's what all the imagery of the lampstands here is. And Zechariah's at night. You see this vision comes to him at midnight, perhaps. And his vision is of these lampstands in the temple burning with oil. And the oil that was used in the temple to burn the lampstands is olive oil. And so on either side of these lampstands stands two olive trees. The vision was given to Zechariah at this time. It was after the exile when the nation of Israel had been taken to Babylon. And the Solomonic temple, the the temple built by Solomon, had been destroyed. So when this vision is given to Zechariah, there is no temple. It's an encouragement by God to Zechariah to build this second temple. That's what this plumb line language here in verse 10 with Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor in Israel at the time. So you have Zechariah the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor. And God gives this vision to Zechariah saying it's time to build the temple again. And that's where these two olive trees come in. Throughout the scriptures, trees are often used as biblical symbols for people, like here. These two trees represent Zechariah the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor, standing and enabling the temple to be built and to shine with the light of God's presence like these lampstands from the fruit of their lives. Olive oil, of course, from olive trees. An angel promises in verse 6 here that this temple will be built not by might, not by power, but by God's spirit. The working of God's spirit. In other words, let me say this not quite as symbolically and esoterically as I just said it. The skills and abilities of Zechariah and Zerubbabel is the oil produced from the fruit of their lives they offer up to God 
that is set aflame by the Holy Spirit, by the presence and work of God, so that they accomplish more than they know, all that God intends, and they actually do build the temple. This was the adventure of their lives that God had given to them, the oil to produce in their lives that they had the privilege to burn. Jesus' parable here from Matthew 25. In fact, the whole conversation that Jesus has here, Matthew 25 and 24, do you know where it's happening? Right in front of this exact same temple. The very one that these two people helped build so many years before. And now Jesus, as he moves into the New Testament era, the church, now this temple that they are looking at is going to be torn down. In AD 70, that temple goes down. And everything that Zechariah and Zerubbabel had built disappears. But it's because midnight has come. And that temple is being torn down. And the Old Covenant and the Old Testament is being moved into the New Covenant and the New Testament. And what becomes a New Testament temple? It's the church. It's you. It's the people of God. And I think that the apostles saw the imagery and connection here. That no longer is there one building but rather it's all these virgins. They look just like lampstands as they hold their torches burning and they hold their own oil that they are offering up to be set aflame by the Holy Spirit, burning right here, just like the apostles on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends on fire on the heads of each and every one of the apostles in the upper room. It would have looked just like that, like the image that God gives Zechariah, like the day of Pentecost, like the image in Matthew 25 of these virgins with their torches aflame. So what is your oil, your gifts, abilities, and talents? And are you offering them up to God to be set aflame by his presence, to shine like light in the dark in order to build Christ's church, his temple? The natural question in response to that is, well, how do I know? How do I know if the gifts that I am giving and that I have my abilities, if I'm actually giving them and offering them to God? I mean, everyone, of course, has talents and abilities. So how do I know if I'm offering those talents and abilities to God? Well, one obvious answer is that you use your gifts and talents and abilities in the church and for the church here at All Saints. For example, if you're a member and attender here, to build All Saints up to enable her to carry out her worship and her work. But how about in your career, in your family, in your neighborhood? Do you remember that old chemistry experiment? Experiment? Experiment. Do you remember that? Um, you don't know because I haven't told you what it is yet. But um, the chemist takes a bunch of different materials and chemicals and sets them on fire. And normally when the flame is burning, what's the color of a flame? It's yellow, Right? But then as the chemist shows you, when something else is burning, the flame changes colors. It's no longer yellow anymore. Now the flame starts turning red, deep red, or purple, or green. When you offer up your gifts to God, and they are set afire by the Holy Spirit, they begin to take on the color of the character of God as they burn. So that what you do takes on the color of God himself. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Our Ephesians passage talks about it here. Right before verse 26 in our New Testament passage, 
here in Ephesians, Paul says that those who belong to Jesus by faith and by baptism, they need to be remade into the likeness of God. And then he ends this section here in chapter five, down at the bottom of our reading, chapter five, verse one, by saying that we are to be imitators of God as beloved children, like children trying to imitate their father. So if we are going to offer our gifts to God, then our gifts will start, regardless of where we're using them, start taking on the characteristics of God himself. Obviously, things that are not of the character of God need to go. But notice in this passage all the positive things here that belong to the character of God. That is the color of your flame. It will be truthful. What you do will be true. You will be a truth speaker. You won't deal with fraud or self-delusion or trying to delude or deceive others. It can be angry, but not in a bitter, destructive, resentful way, but angry without sin, which is anger at evil and wrong. Notice the point of stealing here in verse 28 is not just that stealing is wrong, of course, but it's so that you can be, so that thief can be generous. In other words, that's because God is generous, and generosity is the color of your flame. And words and actions that we have, what do they do? They bring forth grace and life, encouragement and purpose to other people. They don't corrupt. Our words and actions don't tear down. They don't destroy. Verse 32 here. Will burn with these colors of kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness, and ultimately of love. So, do these things mark your business or how you engage in business or what you do when you talk online or when you coach kids? As you give your gifts and talents to God like oil to be burned, then these things will be the color that they will manifest. There's a character, of course, revealed by Christ on the cross. Verse 2 here of Ephesians chapter 5. His life was offered up to God, the purest picture of love and self-sacrifice. And Paul says it was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Typically, when we talk about sacrifice, we think of them as one death in place of another. And that is true. But do remember that nearly all the biblical sacrifices in the Old Testament involved setting the sacrifice on the altar on fire. And upon the cross, the oil of Christ's life, the pure oil of his perfect sinless life, was set afire by the Holy Spirit. And we see most clearly all the things that we just talked about from Ephesians 5. The forgiveness, kindness, and tenderheartedness of God. We see the truth about sin and our sin and the necessary judgment of God upon it. We see the generosity of God as he gives the very life of his son, not to tear us down, not to corrupt us or destroy us or throw us away, but to redeem us, to buy us back to himself through the work of the cross. That's what verse 30 here is talking about. The day of redemption being sealed by the Holy Spirit, those who belong to Christ by faith and by baptism. We said it this morning, for all these children who were baptized, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. Christ redeemed you by the cross. And you are in the language of our parable from Matthew 25. You were given a torch, and it is burning with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Do not let that fire go out. Ahead of you is the day of redemption. Ahead of you is the midnight. But that leads to a beautiful meal, 
So burn brightly to light the way. Begin to burn with the color of God's character as you imitate him, because that is what the meal, this feast with Jesus, is all about. And what Jesus is referencing here in Matthew 25. So last thing. Sometimes I think we can balk at the future and what the future will be like in eternity in the presence of God. Will it, for example, just be like an eternal worship service? Like some dude like me standing up here and just preaching for eternity. (laughs) That would be horrible. That is not what we want. But I want you to hear the picture, the imagery that Jesus gives here. Matthew 25 is of a meal. A meal with God that will have all the character that we just read about in Ephesians. This summer I've had the privilege of having several wonderful meals with friends. I hope you have too. Ones that are so good because when you have that meal with those friends, you know that you are loved by those friends, that you belong. When the food is good, but the conversation is even better, you laugh or you cry. And the words that are spoken are true. And even if the words that are spoken hurt, you know that they are hurting not to bring you down, but to heal you and bring you up. And afterwards, when you leave that meal, you are built up. You feel encouraged and delighted. What happens with those kinds of meals? You don't want them to end. You never want them to end. You want them to stay forever. And that is the picture in the scriptures and in Matthew 25 and in Revelation that that is our future with God, a meal and a feast that you do not want to end because the meal is infused from the top to the bottom in God himself and in you and me who are now aflame with the living permanent presence of the Holy Spirit, aflame with the warm light of the very presence of God. And that is what we are preparing for. And that is where, if you belong to Christ by faith and by baptism, you are going. So may we be aflame in preparation for that day. Amen. Father, we do ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to us, that you would set the very gifts that we have, our abilities and talents, that you would set them afire by your Holy Spirit, that we might participate in your love going out into the world and prepare for the day when we will feast with you for all eternity. In Christ's name, amen.